Welcome to the show. Welcome. It's May 14th, 2011, the Live Free Now radio show. You can check us out at livefreenowradio.com. As always, every Saturday, bringing you the news, views, and tools you can use to live a more free and prosperous life. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be bringing you some police state news. Uh, Indiana court rules that you cannot resist unlawful police entry to your home. There's also, of course, some more taser deaths to be reported upon. Then we're going to be bringing you an exciting interview with Daniel D'Amico. He's an Austrian economist, a professor at Loyola University, and he recently came uh, gave a really great interview to Jeff Tucker of the Mises Institute about the imprisoner's dilemma, about the prison industrial complex about the state having a monopoly on the ability to take your freedom away and toss you in a cage. You can check out that video at myfreesociety.com. It's rather intellectually stimulating. Of course, we'll be bringing you too much government news. Yeah. But first, we want to chat about a wonderful revelation that took place here in Texas at the State House. David Simpson footed a bill, HB 1937, that would make it a felony for the TSA to molest you, to touch your vagina, breast, buttocks. And, of course, we want to bring you the news on that. We've been covering TSA news ever since the good old days when uh, my co-host here, Jason Rink, had a little run-in with them when they did a little thieving, a little robbery. That's What's right. That they about? took my soup. I'm still waiting for my check for $2.59. That was Trader <laughs> Joe's brand minestrone. I can't get that here in Austin. That's right. It's if any uh, Trader Joe's representatives are listening to this show, though, I'd love to see you come on in here. Uh, to the Austin area with your store. There was an article about one of them coming to Texas soon. All right, all right, it's happening. Hey, no offense to Whole Foods. Love Whole Foods. And uh, but yeah, they took my soup. The TSA has been overstepping their bounds. Well, mm-hmm. ever since they began, that's right. Uh, we would argue. And David Simpson, quite a guy there, uh, making national news with this. This is yep. a very ambitious uh, step in the right direction of nullification, which is to say that uh, the states can oppose federal laws and federal actions that are unconstitutional or that we say have yeah. no place in a free society. Yep. Check out thelibertyvoice.com, thelibertyvoice.com. They might go ahead and be the sponsor of our police state news segment because they definitely always cover that. And there's always, just like there's too much government news, it's widely available. The police state news is widely available too. But we got an article that's uh, linked from the Tenth Amendment Center. And of course, here on the show, Jason Rink and myself were big fans of the Tenth Amendment, Tenth Amendment Center, the Nullify Now tours that the SPLC <laughs> recently made to seem like they were racist. There's a great story there. And of course, David Simpson footed that bill. He also footed eight HB 1938, which is yet to pass, which would actually ban the body scanners. This particular bill makes it a felony for them to sexually assault you. It already is a felony, but it brings it into the realm of their unreasonable searches and seizures. It's a the first of its kind in the country to pass. It's a major pushback, and we're really uh, uh, appreciative of David Simpson. We've been speaking with his office. He will be joining us as a guest on this program uh, in the not-so-distant future, so we'll get to chat with him about what that's all about. But again, to me, this actually represents the People's House banding together, and for once, they do it very rarely, ladies and gentlemen. They're actually doing their job, which is to protect the life, liberty, and property of we Texans. So we want to give a big shout-out to David Simpson for that. The governor, Slick Rick Perry, the Bilderberger, he has indicated that he will sign this legislation. So we have one more hurdle here in Texas. It has to pass the Senate. It's passed the House, goes to the Senate. It's got to pass the Senate, and then it'll be on the governor's desktop, and he's indicated that he'll sign it. So that'll be a big, uh, you know, hoo-ha, a big F-U to the TSA. That's right, and it's a way to sort of uh, just, this is a domino effect. The more and more states stand up against this. I mean, we've seen it happen with Real ID. I mean, Real ID, 
was supposed to be implemented in 2007. Here it is, 2011. And states are still going through the, you know, the federal government keeps saying, okay, for real now, you've got to implement real ID, the federal <laughs> ID card, you or know. Else. And uh, so we can do the same with the TSA, get enough states to say, you know what, uh, forget about this. We're going to send these creeps to jail, uh, per, you know, felony charges. They are creeps, many of them. And, uh, you know, so that's what we think. And uh, we'd like to hear what you think about that. Uh, we're going to be taking some calls here at the tail end of the uh, show, and uh, the number is 512-458-8255. That's 458-TALK with a 512 area code here in Austin, Texas. So, uh, you know, you definitely want to check that out. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a hard time. If you disagree with us, that makes for more interesting radio. That's right. Uh, But if you agree with us, give us a call and encourage us. Let us know we're, uh, you know, spitting some truth here. Yep. There's another article up at the Liberty Voice as if uh, the TSA wasn't enough. And it turns out this is some big police state news sponsored by thelibertyvoice.com where you can get the independent, radical, cutting-edge conspiracy news that your little heart desires. Uh, This is out of Indiana. An Indiana court has ruled that you cannot unlawfully, you cannot resist unlawful police searches or police kicking down into your home. This is a a common law maxim that's existed since the beginning of civilization, since the beginning of common law that basically says, you know, you have a right to resist when something's unlawful. And unfortunately, these days, the police just seem hell-bent on unlawfully carrying out warrants and just doing, doing kick doors without a warrant altogether. So unfortunately, the court, it was a very narrow ruling three to two, uh, they basically upheld a ruling against a gentleman who was having a domestic disturbance out in front of his house. He decided that him and his wife, they didn't want to do anything with the police. They went inside. They barricaded the doors. The police kicked it in without a warrant, without their permission, uh, without even a crime that they could potentially have charged him with. And when the police entered, I guess it was a larger guy, pinned him up against the wall. Second police entered and tased him down. And unfortunately, the courts are upholding uh, some charge against him. Uh, now, uh, assault on a police officer, potentially, it's, well, it's no good. And, and let's understand something. This has been de facto law for a long time because what happens many times in this country is uh, the police who are here to serve and protect. And, and uh, again, I feel like I always have to clarify, you know, this is not about all policemen being evil people who hate the Constitution. But the fact of the matter is, is that police officers who find themselves in the wrong in these situations where they illegally enter a home, where they mistakenly enter a home through a, you know, false information drug raid or whatever, you don't have to find a lot of, you know, don't have to spend a lot of time on the internet finding these articles and these stories where the the police are in the wrong. They kill somebody, they hurt somebody, they they arrest somebody with without the due process of law. They are very rarely held accountable for this. Never. They are very rarely prosecuted, reprimanded, fired, anything like that. Many times they're on a paid administrative leave, which mm-hmm. is a paid fishing trip. And because the, the listen, the system is broken, people, and it protects its own. It doesn't yep. protect we the people. And so now this court is basically just saying what has been true for the most part uh, for many years is that, you know what? You civilian have no rights to keep the police out of your home. If the police want to come into your home mm-hmm. for any reason, without a court order, without a warrant, without due process, they can come in there. And if they come in there, for you to resist is to escalate the situation. And now that's going to be the crime, mm-hmm. not the illegal entry. I need this to sink into the minds of those of you out there who are listening. 
Do you realize what happens if this spreads throughout this country? This country is a police state at that point. It's already moving there. And so we look at this ruling, and, and, and I just I can't believe this is really happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you make a really good point about the system checking itself and the system preserving itself. And unfortunately, I often draw the uh, uh, the similarity of uh, allowing a fourth grader to grade their own tests. In some instances, yeah, right. if you don't watch them like a hawk, they're going to give themselves an A when really they deserve to see. And we see that happening here in the city of Austin. It's very prevalent because the police union has major control. In fact, the police union has control over the police monitor's office, which is supposed to provide accountability. And unfortunately, there was a death recently. Uh, some would call it a murder, an officer named Leonard Quintana, took the life of a young man named Nathaniel Sanders. It was way against policy, and this guy was completely let off. In fact, he later received Officer of the Year. He was only fired because he got a DWI, but the point is there's no accountability. There's not a disincentive for these officers because they know if they do step over the line, then they're going to have their buddies, which are in the court systems and which are in these little accountability uh, dog and pony shows. They're just going to let them right off the hook. The chief of police doesn't want anything to look bad on his department as well, so Unfortunately, there's not a disincentive. It's up to each and every one of us to get up, to get out in the streets, to get angry, and to stand up against this injustice when it happens rather than just sitting back and saying, oh, well, you know, we need proper law enforcement in this country to maintain order. It's doing the exact. It's actually causing disorder and chaos. Well, and let's understand this as well. If there's any police officers listening out there, these these protections are in place not just for the citizens, but they're to protect you because— all of us, when put in a place of power, as the founders believe this, they encourage us. They said, look, power can corrupt. They said, look, you've got to watch those that you put in power because power tends to increase while liberty decreases. It's just the nature of government. So these protections of due process and, and things like that are in place to protect you from what naturally happens when you get into a place of power. Not that you're evil, not that you're bad. It's just human nature that we begin to make compromises and we begin to, you know, smudge that line and go into the gray areas. And the next thing you know, there's no rule of law. Yeah. And it, it, another good point that you bring up, Paul Rank, you're, you're firing him off today. I just saw uh, Attorney General Eric Holder made the statement that if we were to do away with the drug war, it wouldn't make any police officers safer. So if there are police officers out there listening, you think of those words of Attorney General Eric Holder next time you do a raid, a, even a warrantless raid to kick down someone's door. Who knows what they're doing on the side on the other side, all because they, uh, you know, engaged in peaceful commerce, that uh, there was no victim. So uh, the next uh, segment. We're going to be interviewing Daniel D'Amico. He is a professor at Loyola University. He's a libertarian, and he's doing some really exciting research on the nature of prisons and the state monopoly on taking our freedom away and throwing us in a little cage. We're going to be taking your calls, 512-458-TALK. That's 512-458-8255. Stick around. Jason Rink, John Bush, LibFreeNowRadio.com. We'll be right back. Are you tired of big government treading on your liberty? Well, so are we. We're Brave New Books, the fiercest independent bookstore in Austin. Located a block south of UT Austin, Brave New Books not only carries the information you need to be ahead of the curve, but we also have water filters, storable food, and superfoods that help you put your help back into your own hands. Contact us at 480-2503 at bravenewbookstore.com or stop by at 1904 Guadalupe Street. 
Jason Rink and John Bush here to introduce you to a brand new sponsor of the Live Free Austin radio show, Enterfood. Yeah, Jason, Enterfood is a powder mix of various green superfoods which utilizes all natural and organic ingredients in order to provide you the boost of energy you need to make it through the day. That's right, with ingredients like organic spirulina, organic chlorella, and organic barley and wheatgrass, you're sure to catch a buzz on life after drinking this mix. Best of all, it's made with non-heated ingredients. It's gluten-free and caffeine-free, so you'll get the best of what nature has to offer. No funny genetically modified nonsense. So check out enterfood.com or call 1-866-762-9238 to learn more about this green superfood powder and also check out their other invigorating health mixes and coffees. That's right. Enterfood isn't the only thing in the Enter Health Botanicals lineup. You got to check out the organic coconut powder and organic skincare lines. Go ahead and give it a try. Call 1-866-762-9238 or visit enterfood.com today. And Tell them Live Free Austin sent you. Welcome back. Live Free Now. LiveFreeNowRadio.com. This is Jason Rink and John Bush with you every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. here on 98.9. We are going to be taking your calls. We are live, people. So give us a call at 512-458-TALK. That's 512-458-TALK. 8255. Just want to uh, give you a quick uh, plug on a uh, workshop that's happening tomorrow, May 15th. Uh, go check it out at backyardfoodproduction.com. Last two weeks we've been talking about this. Uh, we had Doug Simons on last week talking about uh, natural remedies and things like that uh, for your dental work and how to take care of your teeth and all that. So there's a uh, alternative to dentist workshop. Uh, you can find out at backyardfoodproduction.com. They're also going to have a bug festival in the evening uh, where you can learn about eating bugs. Mm, I know. Tasty. It sounds very, very tasty. So uh, we hope that the economic environment doesn't get to the point where we have to begin eating bugs, but you never know. <laughs> and be so, ready for it. That's right. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to be talking with... Uh, Daniel D'Amico here, and he, uh, I saw him on a video just recently uh, at the Mises Institute, and uh, I was really blown away by it because it was just a, a very, it, it was kind of an out-of-the-box topic. You know, many times we talk about government, we talk about the government use of power, and where, where we run into too much government, and very infrequently do people say, hey, should government be the ones locking people up in cages? For crimes? It's a good question. That's a novel thought. And uh, so we want to find out, you know, what, what Daniel has to say about that. He's, he he's teaches at Loyola University. I believe that's where Walter Block hails as well, who's kind of a revolutionary cat. Is that right, or is that Tom DiLorenzo there? I don't know. We'll find out from Daniel. Anyway, uh, Daniel, are you there with us? Sure am. All How's right. Going, John? John and Jason, how are you? Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Doing great. So uh, you're, you're there at Loyola University, and uh, what is your uh, specialty there? Uh, I'm uh, assistant professor of economics um, I, I, alongside with uh, Walter Block. We're at Loyola University in New Orleans. Uh, Tom DiLorenzo is at Loyola University in Maryland. Oh, um, okay. There's several different Loyolas. It's all part of what's called uh, the Jesuit uh, College Network um, centered off of uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Well, we're we're big fans of Tom DiLorenzo. He's been on the show and Walter Block as well. He's not been on the show, but hopefully we can get him on here. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we checked out this video. You can go to uh, myfreesociety.com and check out this video we have posted 
of an interview you did with Jeffrey Tucker. And so you've been doing some research into what I would call, you know, the prison industrial complex. Give us your thoughts about that. What kind of led you down the path and and just sort of maybe define for the listeners, you know, what the prison uh, industrial complex is. Well, uh, originally I got interested in this topic um, because I myself actually attended undergraduate uh, at Loyola studying under Walter Block. Uh, And so Walter's whole sort of uh, research program is to privatize the world, so to speak. Um, And while it's sort of difficult to wrap your head around um, a lot of different um, areas for privatization, water, roadways, et cetera, um, I think it actually is a a great heuristic uh, device to learn the economic way of thinking. Uh, At the bare minimum, you sort of have to walk through profit motives and incentives and understand how it is that ordinary individuals could supply and demand these services and what effect that would have on quality and quantities of production. And so um, uh, Loyola has a, has a deep history uh, in, in social justice. And so while I was attending uh, undergraduate studies, a number of students were protesting the advertising of uh, Wackenhut security systems on campus. Now, Wackenhut security is, uh, they, they run private neighborhoods. They, they were one of the first, uh, quote unquote, uh, private prison providers in the United States. Uh, now I think they're called uh, Correctional Corporation of America. Um, and uh, they, a few other sort of uh, companies have sort of sprung up uh, since. But, um, but so a number of students were just sort of appalled uh, at the notion of profiting off of other people's misery is a catchphrase you run right. into a lot uh, in this sort of activism. And it's the notion that, like, making money off of the criminal justice system is somehow inherently immoral. Um, now, I actually grew up in South Florida and lived in a whack and hut protected neighborhood when I was younger. Um, uh, South Florida being one of the, the largest areas of private neighborhoods in the country, uh, most sort of housing developments uh, in the Palm Beach County area have uh, guarded gates, uh, security guards, etc. Um, and so you can really see firsthand how effective uh, that is at, at, at deterring criminal uh, behavior, as well as sort of providing high quality public space, uh, parks, uh, walkways, road systems, etc. in these private neighborhoods. So when, when there were these students who were, who were uh, antagonistic against uh, the notion of making money off of private security or making money off of private prisons, it didn't seem to jive with all of the material and, and whatnot that I was learning in Walter's class. Well, then I started doing uh, a bit of research into uh, comparing um, quality standards in, in, in traditional public prison facilities compared to these quote, again, I use the phrase quote unquote private prisons, because what I came to learn is that the, the, the prisons that we have that are run and managed by private companies aren't really private in any meaningful sense. They're much more uh, contracted out. Right. Um, and so uh, basically governments outsource the construction and the maintenance of prison facilities to private companies uh, who um, economize on things like labor contracts, uh, training programs, etc., and can operate facilities at, at more uh, what we would call technologically efficient uh, standards. Um, now, Bruce Benson has a fascinating article on this uh, where he says that there's a significant difference between technological efficiency and economic efficiency. 
So technological efficiency meaning like, well, you could get more miles per gallon out of your car, uh, but that doesn't necessarily imply that driving is the best use of fuel. Um, just like we can, uh, in some sense, we wouldn't want to give Hitler, uh, a machine gun instead of a knife. Uh, we wouldn't want to necessarily empower the aspects of a government, um, that make it, uh, more efficient, more efficient at coercion. Right. Uh, Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, you've got this sort of scenario where there are some private contractors who it's sort of a public private partnership which we're not big fans of those we love those we love fascism Uh, because people always like to say look the free market in action Uh and uh that's not really what's happening there but what i think is revolutionary what you actually started to do is as you were going down this path you started questioning number one not just the effectiveness of the prison system and and the whole idea of this being the right solution to deal with crime, but then even ideas of, hey, should the government be the one that's even over this whole p- crime and punishment aspect of society? Yeah, um, well, I think that the sort of background of, of, of Benson's insight of, the, of analyzing the, the private-public partnership uh, aspect is that you – especially from an Austrian perspective. I think Austrian economics is particularly well-suited to recognize this because we have this, um, this broader appreciation for subjectivism and a broader appreciation for innovation and, and sort of radical types of innovation that in, in some sense, uh, if you're uh, mired in the horse and buggy industry, you're never going to see the automobile coming. Um, right. So when you're asking, okay, well, crime is the problem and prisons are the deterrent solution, um, you, you might be totally ignoring uh, a completely alternative uh, uh, production functions that might be better suited and, and significantly lower financial costs, let alone social costs, at, uh, at promoting peace and prosperity. And I think that, I mean, uh, it, it sounds revolutionary and, and, and libertarians are, are really ripe to, to, to recognize these insights. But to some extent, um, it's not that surprising. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, more established and mainstream literature that points to this same fact. Um, Stephen Levitt is a, is a popular economist. Uh, he blogs for the New York Times. He has uh, noticed uh, a significant correlation between um, the decline of crime in the late 1990s, um, violent crime in particular, and uh, the Roe versus Wade decision. Uh, now, the logic here is, is almost uh, unsavory uh, to many people, which is that, well, um, aborted children would have grown up in sort of single-family households and are probabilistically more, uh, more likely to commit crimes than, than uh, children in more traditional family settings. So after Roe v. Wade, lots of these children go unborn and didn't necessarily populate a criminal class as they had mm. in previous generations. Now, I think that to take policy suggestions from this, no one would want to say, well, therefore, we should, like, subsidize abortions or something. Right, right. What instead I think it alludes to, though, is that there is a nearly infinite variety of things that might have deterrent effects that we cannot foresee. Mm-hmm. That planning for low crime rates is very, very difficult to do. Hey, Dan, um, we're coming up on a break, Dan. Uh, man, you got, got a lot of great stuff to cover for sure. On the other side of the break, I want to chat with you about uh, the inequality that we experience in prisons and just the sheer numbers of prisoners here in the United States and what kind of effect that could potentially be having. This is the Live Free Now radio show. Stick with us. We'll be taking your calls on the other side of the break. 
Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Live free now every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. on 98.9 here in Austin. You can also check out our podcasts of uh, some great shows we have lined up in the kicker at livefreenowradio.com. We're chatting with Daniel D'Amico. He's uh, one of the favorites there at the Mises uh, University. If you want to check out some of our previous uh, shows also, we've uh, had a great uh, slew of interviews with a lot of these Austrian Mises guys like Tom DiLorenzo, Thomas Woods, Robert Murphy. And again, all those podcasts are available at livefreenowradio.com. But yeah, we're chatting with Daniel D'Amico. He's a professor at Loyola University. He recently did a great interview with Jeffrey Tucker, another Mises guy, uh, and it's called The Imprisoner's Dilemma. And you could check that video out at myfreesociety.com, one of the show's sponsors that's trying to educate, activate, and liberate a whole new generation to the cause of freedom. But yeah, we're chatting with Daniel about the prison industrial complex, the role that prison and imprisoning individuals, taking their freedom away, putting them in a cage, the role that has on society. Maybe we could chat a little bit about the numbers. You guys go over some pretty startling statistics. Uh, One that Tucker mentions is that before 1860, there were more, right now there's more people in prison than there were slaves before 1860. And you make the point that there's more people in prison in the United States than the whole population of LA and Miami, I think. Maybe you could chat with us a little bit about those numbers. They're pretty alarming. And then also get into the inequality. I know African-Americans, minorities, lower income individuals seem to wind up in prison more often than Caucasians. Uh, What's that all about? Sure. Uh, Well, the the comparisons that Jeff and I are making, uh, it's careful to sort of contextualize those. Um, So the the sheer number is that there's about two and a half billion people um, particularly incarcerated in the United States. Now, um, the the comparison to 1850 and the comparison to Miami and Los Angeles is usually in reference to a cultural point, and it usually refers to a larger number than two and a half million, which is – an additional uh, several hundred thousand who are involved in some form or another in the criminal justice system. In other words, to say that there's two and a half million people incarcerated right now, that's true. But then there's also a lot more people who are on parole, who have recently been released. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the notion of prison walls, they're not really made of brick Mm -hmm. so much as they are more like cell membranes constantly taking people in and releasing them back into society. Now, if you recognize how big those numbers are, you have to admit that there's got to be a cultural influence on experiencing um, life in a prison sort of society. And then sort of the notion of re-injecting these people into our normal society could be bad. Uh, I mean, we we, we sort of think that that prisons are this uh, curing device against crime, but insofar as Networks of organized crime, uh, in many ways, start in uh, the prison system. Uh, for example, I think um, historical investigations of most sort of uh, white power organizations, were it not for the prison system, uh, would not have been um, started in America. As well as sort of street gangs, Bloods and Crips, both also have their origins in in prison facilities. As do their like iconic. Um, color delineations and uh, sort of uh, cultural means of communication. Hmm. Well, and and so, and with the inequality issue, you know, this is something that does impact minorities more than it does uh, Caucasians. Absolutely. And I think it's bizarre because most people, or not most people, but there is um, a, uh, an intellectual position that blames capitalism, that the, uh-huh. the market process creates inequality um, between the races. And I think that that completely ignores 
this role of the police state that that what's what I would argue is driving the bulk of inequality in the United States today is this interactive effect between, say, things like the minimum wage law and the bad incentives created through uh, urban planning projects in conjunction with the fact that after sort of ruining the employment opportunities of segments of society, we then um, criminalize significant uh, areas uh, of, of production, mainly the drug trade. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's interesting in, in the interview, again, you talk about how these people get a simpy, simple petty, petty uh, speeding ticket. They they wind up in prison. It reminds me of uh, my girlfriend, Catherine Bly. She spent some time in jail in uh, Missouri for a free speech issue. And I want to give a quick shout-out to her. She's probably listening. We just recently lost our little doggy, Eddie, so I want to give a shout-out to Eddie. He's up there in doggy heaven swimming around, and it's going to be okay, Cad. <laughs> We're going to we're going to stick strong and, uh, and and get through this. But uh, she was in prison there in Missouri, and she was one of the only white folk in there, and she was just totally blown away by uh, a large majority of the African-American women that were there in prison. They have a property tax on vehicles in Missouri, and a lot of these people can't afford to pay this property tax, so they end up getting picked up, and then they're thrown in jail, their freedom taken away for something that's victimless entirely. Is that is that something that we see prevalent across the country? Um, I, I think it's it's particularly uh, a problem in certain um, states and particularly big cities within certain states. So I think California is probably getting the, these problems more than other states. Uh, it, it does seem to be a problem in, in my own state, Louisiana and New Orleans, um, because basically you have city uh, environments are trying to gain tax revenue mm-hmm. by means of ticketing and traffic violations and, and, and things like that. And sort of the people in charge of making those decisions aren't really aware of how it will drain and strain uh, police resources. So you end up pulling someone over and it comes up on the computer that there's a warrant out for their mm-hmm. arrest because that's the way uh, the ticketing process is working. Then you, you, you basically have no choice but to uh, to sort of book them and put them through the process, there's there's little to no discretion allowed in the in, yeah. in the in the system. And what I think really is is problematic about that is that for people who live uh, on very limited incomes, that time away from work um, creates a cycle of, yeah. of of sort of criminal liability um, that it can become very very difficult to get out of. Yeah, it's terrible, and and then it ends up always being something so petty as missing a stop sign, and and then again, there's the inequality, the social inequity that's prevalent because the lower income families are far less capable of dealing with all these fines, taking off work for a day, and it's another thing that you go over in the interview. It looks like we have a call here, uh, Brink. You want to announce a caller? Who's this? Chris Bailey calling in? Yeah, I've got Chris Bailey, but I'm not sure if I've got him on the line. Chris, are you there? Chris, are you with us? Uh, I'm having a little trouble getting him pulled up. Um, so I did want to I did want to ask you know okay we're we're throwing this out and and we're saying you know that the current system's not working I think a lot of people will recognize that a lot, a lot of people won't entertain anything but small tweaks uh, to the current system is is just that build more cages or you know <laughs> adjust the length of time people are in cages more or what crimes people are, are sent to be in cages for but what are some solutions or some some more I don't know, out-of-the-box ideas that maybe you have. Uh, well, well, you know, uh, I think this last topic that we just talked about, the sort of like uh, cyclical debt, um, points out a, a significant problem in the current system that really eviscerates this, uh, this criticism that, well, if you're criticizing incarceration, what's your alternative? And I think what that does is it underplays the cost of incarceration. In other words, the fact that we are overutilizing police resources, overutilizing enforcement, mm-hmm. 
um, in order to do these sort of petty things, it means that we are under utilizing resources to do real things like protect person and property. Mm -hmm. So um, to some extent, what we should do is admit that the degree of our person and property that is protected is probably done by things other than the traditional police force Mm -hmm. or informal things like private gun ownership, security systems, um, so on and so forth. Deterrence is a much bolder response to crime um, at the security level than it is at the punitive level. And there's a a variety of empirical work to support that. Um, But as far as what can be done at the punishment stage, I think restitution is a far more historically popular uh, practice compared to um, what we would call today as retributive incarceration. Right now, there's also a very uh, popular trend, especially amongst sort of Christian uh, prison activists called restorative justice, which is uh, literally sort of like a a coming to terms between criminals and victims. No money or or property are particularly exchanged, but it is about opening the lines of communication so that people who are explicitly transgressed by by criminal violators can sort of have a one-to-one and and get a sense of closure and and whatnot out of their... uh, uh, victim experience, yeah, that, and and it's 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 doing well. It's it, it, a lot of the sort of like anecdotal uh, evidence from people who have participated in those things r- report really good things. Definitely, yeah. The whole prison system—you put someone in prison, they're not allowed to make the victim whole. That's not what it's about, after all. But it looks like we have the caller, Chris, on the line. Chris, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. What's on your mind? Yeah, you know, I I couldn't agree more. I think restitution's always been shown to be much more effective than than throwing people in jail. But more so, I, I really want to make a comment on, on what's going on with the, the whole prison industrial complex is the, the prison industry is now lobbying people for, for more strict drug laws so we can keep mm-hmm. throwing more and more people in prison. So it's it's something to, to really be looked at. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Well, I mean, what are you doing anything yeah. to push back on those drug laws, Chris? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. Today in Austin, there is uh, an election going on for city council, and I, Chris Bailey, am on the ballot, and I've openly said that I really feel that marijuana should be legalized. And that's that's what we need to do is we need to fight this from every angle that we can at, at the ballot, at, in elections, and then through pushing back against the system any way that we can. So, yeah, hopefully people are getting out and voting today. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I've actually heard you speak on that subject, and it's it's pretty refreshing to have someone out there uh, in these city council debates that's actually calling for decriminalizing marijuana altogether. It's, it's definitely a, a radical position that needs to be taken. When you think about it, it's not that radical at all. Is there a website someone can go to to check out your info? Uh, yeah, baileyforchange.com is my website, and you can link to my Facebook page from there. But uh, really, the, the polls close at 7 p.m. tonight, so I'd encourage people to, to make sure to get out and get out and vote today if you can. Right on. Great. Well, thanks for the call, and thanks for educating people about the whole idea of a victimless crime and, and pushing back on these drug laws. We uh, appreciate what you're doing out there. So, yeah, folks, you can vote till 7 p.m. I think Chris is running against Shady the Clown, the incumbent, Randy Shade, so— yeah. So, Daniel, what do you think about that? You think decriminalizing marijuana will will do a, a you know a good first step to uh, deal with this prison industrial complex system? I I think Chris is absolutely right. Although, I mean, I'm I'm pretty more radical than that. I I think uh, pretty much all drugs should be decriminalized. I I just don't think that law enforcement is a good way of resolving to the social problems of, of drug use or drug drug abuse. Right um, in particular. Um, 
I think that that issue highlights exactly what we were talking about before, about the scarcity of enforcement resources. So it's estimated that about 6% of the population is some form of violent criminal. And so we incarcerate about 1% of the population. Now, some people want to look at that and say, oh, well, therefore, we should incarcerate this full 6%. Right, now, 5 more percent. But, but the reality of the situation is that the 1% that we do incarcerate, 70% of that 1% is nonviolent uh, criminals <laughs> and instead drug abusers. So the one resource that we do supposedly right. have in protecting us from violent crime isn't being used the way you or I or I think most people would want it to be used. Yeah. In other words, the the maintenance, the, the administrative power of this technology, mainly the state, is the one that is deciding where we deploy the resource. And they're using it to, to enforce things that suit their interests, the drug trade, right, as yeah. opposed to things that suit the social interests or our interests, which would be protection of person and property. Yep, yep. And I think well, that's an inevitable consequence of having state monopoly control over things like law enforcement. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, we're coming up on the end of the interview. Daniel, we definitely want to thank you for coming on and the great research that you do. It's very, uh, uh, you know, it's a relief to have some Austrian economists out there in the uh, university system. Before we go, is there a website that you can give out? People can check out your work. Sure. I mean, uh, I, I have my own website, DanielJDemico.com, but also if you check out Mises.org, I'm offering a, a summer online class for anyone interested specifically on uh, the American incarceration experience. Um, it's eight weeks. Um, I think it'll meet on Tuesday evenings. Um, and all the readings are free and available online and uh, live lectures and, and, and Q&A. Right on. That sounds great, Daniel. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us. Hopefully we can talk to you again. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, folks, there you have it. Daniel D'Amico. Check out his site. Check out Mises.org for more of this perspective. This is the Live Free Now radio show, LibFreeNowRadio.com. On the other side of this break, we'll be bringing you too much government news. Yeah. Attention, big talker listeners. Want to get the real information on the agenda behind the Obama administration's policies? Brave New Books, Austin's own fiercely independent bookstore, has the resources you need to understand the Federal Reserve, international banking, and the forces behind President Obama. Brave New Books is located a block south of UT at 1904 Guadalupe Street. Contact us at 480-2503 or at bravenewbookstore.com. Jason Rink and John Bush here to introduce you to a brand new sponsor of the Live Free Austin radio show, Enterfood. Yeah, Jason, Enterfood is a powder mix of various green superfoods which utilizes all natural and organic ingredients in order to provide you the boost of energy you need to make it through the day. That's right, with ingredients like organic spirulina, organic chlorella, and organic barley and wheatgrass, you're sure to catch a buzz on life after drinking this mix. Best of all, it's made with non-heated ingredients. It's gluten-free and caffeine-free, so you'll get the best of what nature has to offer. No funny genetically modified nonsense. So check out enterfood.com or call 1-866-762-9238 to learn more about this green superfood powder and also check out their other invigorating health mixes and coffees. That's right. Enterfood isn't the only thing in the Enter Health Botanicals lineup. You got to check out the organic coconut powder and organic skincare lines. Go ahead and give it a try. Call 1-866-762-9238 or visit enterfood.com today. And Tell them Live Free Austin sent you. Welcome back. Live Free Now. 
LiveFreeNowRadio.com. This is Jason Rink and John Bush. We have been having just some very interesting discussion on uh, the prison system, the prison experience, alternatives to the prison system, and, uh, you know, where drug laws and nonviolent crimes fall into that whole mix. So, again, we had Daniel D'Amico. Go check out our podcast. I mean, this one will be up. Uh, we normally get it up on Monday. You can check out the backlog of, of uh, shows that we've had. and Great shows. Yeah, if we don't say so ourselves. So, <laughs> uh, But here we are entering into everybody's favorite segment, Too Much Government News. Yeah. Brought to you by Enerfood. Enterfood.com, one of our great sponsors here. And we talked last week about doing the Enterfood Challenge, John. The Enterfood Challenge. So, yeah, I wish we had an echo on that one. But, uh, you know, so everybody's probably wondering what's going on there. And uh, <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is we didn't start the Enterfood Challenge. And here's why. Because I am such a coffee fiend. When John threw out the Enterfood Challenge, I thought, oh, he, he obviously means we're going to switch to uh, – Either Cocoa Mojo or Nutra Cafe, which are like Enerfood's, you know, coffee substitutes, right? Something a little easy going. No, John wanted to just cut out the coffee and go straight to the super green Enerfood. 100%. 100%. And you know what? I got a little scared. All right. So we give it another week here. I think we're going to, uh, I had an extra week to sort of prepare mm-hmm. to drink drink my coffee and, and prepare for to get this dramatic fix. life change, right? So we hope to have an update for you on that. But again, Enter Food, they've got the super green food um, with organic spirulina, chlorella. I can't even hardly say that. It's okay. But uh, all, all sorts of organic uh, whole superfoods. I mean, when we get our nutrients they need to come in the in the place that's most close to the natural state that they're in for sure and in the natural uh you know balance that they're found in nature not through some factory that just sort of is like ah here you go here's here's the uh different things yeah. made from ground up rocks put yeah. that into your system yeah and this this story ties uh, you know just inner food in general ties real well with the story of too much government news we're about oh, to yeah, cover oh yeah it does uh, I actually watched a documentary last night uh, called Food Matters, and it's just all about nutrition and, and how terrible the genetically modified food is and inorganic food. And, and basically what happens is a lot of this food, they pump so many chemicals into it, they cook a lot of it, not to mention it takes about a week or so to reach your grocery shelves, and then sometimes you put it, uh, you don't eat it until another week later. All of the nutrients and wonderful vitamins and everything, a lot of this dies and goes away uh, whenever it's stored that long, of course, because it's been treated, there's been a preservatives place into it but that's not the case with uh, the inner food of course it's all organic completely natural it's got a wonderful shelf life on it too but it's actually going to get you those quality nutrients and vitamins that you need in order to be more healthy they got into a lot of medical stuff on that particular documentary and a lot of the medical problems that we have in the western world they simply want to put a little band-aid over a big wound but you really got to get down and treat those core problems and you'll find that 95% 95% of the medical problems we face are due to a bad diet and bad health. So one great way to start is to be getting the uh, nutrients, nutrition, all this great super green food that you need through enterfood.com. And, and thankfully, we realized that we we might not have to go 100% enterfood. We do have the Nutri Cafe, which is a healthier coffee alternative. It is totally organic. So right. check that out. They have uh, more products besides just enterfood. That's enterfood.com, E-N-E-R food.com. Well, it sounds like... School officials in San Antonio have got a great way to monitor 
what everybody's eating. Oh, they're going to keep us all safe. From all right. Because cameras videotape the eating habits of school children. This is what was reported this week. School officials in Texas are hoping surveillance cameras in the cafeteria will help them fight childhood obesity. Oh, boy. Yes, high-tech cameras have been installed in the lunchrooms in San Antonio to capture what kids are eating and what food is being left behind. So, uh, you know, researchers who have spent $2 million on this project, <laughs> the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Well spent. Your tax okay, dollars, folks. Right. Hoping this will, you know, change the eating habits at home once the parents see what the kids are choosing in school. So let me just let me just wrap a bow on this, and then I'll get your thoughts, John. We spoke a couple weeks ago about how some schools were going to outlaw bringing in food from home to eat at lunch, right? Mm -hmm. You had to eat what was being served at the school. Now, we've got another school that's videotaping what they're eating, what they're not eating. So it sounds to me like this is sort of schizophrenic, right? Because it's like, you know, on one hand, you're going to make the the kids eat what the school serves. But then it's like, well, you wouldn't think there would be any problem in what the school was serving if the school is going to be you know, sort of the totalitarian force over their diet. Sure, sure. This all goes back to Michelle Obama style, trying to get everybody healthy. Uh, another one of the candidates that's running for city council, Laura Morrison. I'm a, I'm a fan of hers, but she's got this nanny state thing going where one of her campaign platforms is to make sure we can fight childhood obesity here in the city of Austin. It's not the role of government. They're going to be taking pictures of the trays to examine how many calories <laughs> each individual student eats at lunch. And you could bet your bottom dollar, the article doesn't go into the details, but you can deduce that they're going to then be tracking the dietary information, the nutritional information, the caloric intake of these individual kiddos. And you know their next goal is to take it from outside of the school into the home of the parents. They're doing it in England and in London. That's always the proving ground for a lot of this big nanny state stuff. But this is just this is just too far. Again, it's a, you mentioned there's a double standard. There's often a walking contradiction with governance. I don't trust Michelle Obama. I don't trust any of these federal Department of Agriculture programs because on the one hand they're saying, oh, we need to get our nation's youth healthy. And on the second hand, they're putting Monsanto executives in high positions of power over regulatory agencies of yep. food. And they're they're making it difficult for regulators to label genetically modified food. They're pumping fluoride into the water. The Department of Defense, of course, is just destroying the planet with depleted uranium. And none of this is good for our health. So you would think if the federal government or governments, for that matter, all of them really cared about us, I think they'd be throwing us a bone on this genetically modified issue. They wouldn't be centralizing all these food productions so they can all come crashing down. So I just see it as a double standard. I don't take it, I take it with a grain of salt. It's a big joke. If you ask me, it's too much government. Well, yeah, and it, it is actually the natural outgrowth of, of us agreeing that government has the right to tell us what we can and cannot put in our bodies mm -hmm. on any level on that spectrum, yeah. okay? Because once we say government has the right to say what we can and cannot put in our bodies, whether it's drugs, whether it's food, it's all on that same spectrum of government control. Mm -hmm. So we that's why we've got to nip it in the bud at the beginning and say, no, government cannot legislate that. That's right. So we're wrapping up the show right now, but we did just want to do a shout out to a new sponsor that we have that you'll be hearing from a lot, Capital Coin and Bullion. And uh, Capital Coin and Bullion is your place here in Austin where you can get gold, silver, rare coins, that sort of thing. I know John's been there just recently. Yeah, I just recently bought a roll of silver dimes, 50 silver dimes. They sold it to me just right above spot. Silver's about $35 right now. I think it's a wonderful time to buy, but you can go see Chad and Becky there. They're great folks, and again, the, the pricing's definitely right on point, but it's also great for those of you who you know share our libertarian philosophy and like to question things that the government does. They have a like mind over there at Capital Coin and Bullion, so it's definitely a good idea. I recommend everybody getting these silver dimes 
times. I think it's a wonderful investment. If we do see a currency crash, which more and more every single day, the decisions of the Federal Reserve Bank, the decisions of Barry Obama, it seems like more and more they're actually pushing for some sort of dollar collapse. Yeah. These silver dimes are really going to give you a lot of protection. They're going to save your value, and you could bet your bottom dollar that other people are going to be interested in accepting these dimes because they're guaranteed to be genuine silver. Not that we trust the government and other things, right. but you can see that it's real silver. So check out CapitalCoinAndBullion.com. That's capital with an A, CoinAndBullion.com. They're located here in Austin, Texas, 7304 Burnett Road, Suite A. That's 7304 Burnett Road, Suite A. You can give them a call. They'll let you know what the latest spot is. Of course, they manipulate their prices through the day as silver prices change. So you can go down on a dip and pick up uh, some silver, get a good deal. That's 512-371-5884. That's 512-371-5884. Capital, coin, and bullion. And this is Jason Rankin, John Bush with Live Free Now, encouraging you to live Live free free now. now, not later.